brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back to our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here's the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome to the show, everybody. I hope everybody's had a great week. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about all about cutters and self-harm. And uh, this is a tough show because so many kids, especially high school students, over 46% in some studies have uh, performed self-harm on themselves, and it's really hard to understand it. And truthfully, uh, a lot of these kids, if they get treated in a medical facility or by a doctor, the doctor is usually lecturing or treating them fairly badly because they don't understand why they're there, why they're doing this to themselves. And I can't tell you how many uh, people we get in therapy that do this activity. You know, it's a behavior that is, is more common than many people realize. And it's often misunderstood, not just by the regular public, but also by, once again, mental health professionals and, and, uh, and regular medical uh, folks, uh, doctors who ostensibly should know what self-injury is and how best to treat it. However, self-injury is used by people as, as over-drinking is used by others. It's used to drown out emotional pain with something else. And in the case of self-injury, that something else is physical pain, and it focuses your attention and it takes your mind off your emotional pain, if only for a, just a little while. You know, cutting is the most common form of self-injury, making uh, skin-deep cuts on a person's arms, wrists, sometimes their thighs, wherever they can hide in uh, noticeable areas on their body. The cuts are not meant to cause permanent damage or harm, nor are they meant as a suicidal gesture. However, the cuts are the means to an end themselves. They provide a source of immediate but not serious physical pain as long as they're allowed to heal cleanly. You know, and that's really a lot of these kids that do this cutting may not intend to hurt themselves, but they may hit an artery and they've done that before and and killed themselves. They've also got an infection where they've had to be severely treated. And, and, uh, you know, that's just not cool because they just use any object. They use uh, scissors. They use uh, knives, any any sharp object, uh, paper clips. I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff that are not sterile. You know, and other forms of self-injury also include like burning or keeping old wounds open or inviting infection in them, with, uh, which causes even more pain. And the people with the most severe self-injury behavior often can think of little else when they go through their day. It becomes something more than just a way to deal with emotional pain. It actually becomes its own obsession. And it is an obsession. And, and helping people understand that it's not just something that one should be ashamed of, but it can be treated. That's the best part. It can be treated. You know, why on earth would someone purposely want to cut their self? You know, as odd as this uh, might seem to many of us, non-suicidal self-injury, such as cutting, burning, intensely scratching a per- yourself without suicidal intent, is a major problem that most p- people just simply don't know about. We we may not hear much about that Uh, cutting or that self-injury in the news because it's sort of a taboo subject. And the truth is, the more media attention it gets, the more 
people that do it. And so, you know, I even hesitated doing this show because it actually sometimes encourages, uh, by putting it out there, it actually encourages people to do this kind of behavior. You know, despite how taboo it may seem, it is actually very common, especially for girls in high school and in college. You know, current estimates suggest that approximately 4% or more of the population overall of all ages and as high as 14% of adolescents self-harm. And and it it often leads to these emergency uh, room visits due to severe injuries. And the injuries can cause permanent nerve damage for some. And given all this, you would think that more people would pay attention in the growing public about this. And it's never a bad idea if you have a, uh, a teenager that is stressed out or Uh, behaving strangely is to check their arms, check their legs, check their back, check whatever areas that they may have accessible where they could be doing this to themselves. You know, I bring up this topic of of self-injury because it can be used as a maladaptive approach to stress. You know, similar to the way people use alcohol or drugs to help them forget about their problems for a little while, many people who self-injure do so to cope with stressful situations or upsetting problems with other people. You know, however, this is usually backfires and thus causes more problems. You know, may, many uh, come to view self-injury as their only way of dealing with problems and become dependent on it. And, and so, the, the, the effects of self-harm can start to wear off over time, resulting in the need for frequent or more severe injuries with the, to get the same effect. Because they're so used to it, now they have to go deeper in their cuts or, or do it harder, whatever the self-injury is, or burn burn more. And, and that turns into a huge, huge uh, self-sabotaging uh, uh, obsession that people get. You know, given all the problems that can arise from it, uh, the fact is... Um, often it's used as a way to cope with emotional pain, and it's also a, 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 a way of self-sabotaging. You know, a lot of people will do this and then hide it, especially now, listen, if you've got kids that like to cover up their arms and their legs, um, even when it's hot, that's a real good indication that something bad is happening, and you really want to check it out. You know, the other thing is, if you're a cutter, if you're somebody that does self-injury where you wear a scar from it, how are you going to explain that if you have children? I mean, what are you going to do? How are you going to exactly explain what you did to yourself? It's a sad thing. You know, you've got to think about the consequences down the road. You know, so how is it the self-injury works as a coping tool? You know, currently we don't have, we, we have some understanding about why it helps people deal with the negative emotion. and But it, we also have to understand is it self-punishment? Is it the release of endorphins? Because it does release endorphins. And it also may uh, help people avoid a negative emotion. Some people are very have very poor emotional intelligence. They can't express their emotions. They can't put words to them. And so what they do is they self-harm instead because they have no uh, good way of expressing themselves or they feel ashamed of their own emotions. You know, uh, fortunately, new findings on the topic of self-injury has brought in a lot of powerful ways to relieve the emotions because if we understand why people are self-injuring, then we're able to treat it much better. So how do people self-injure? You know, the ways to self-harm are enormous. Self-harm, also known as self-injury or self-mutilation, it's a coping mechanism using used by so many people. Self-harm includes a stereotypical cutting 
or it also uh, goes far beyond that. So here's some uh, major ones. And also, by the way, people that do self-injury usually have eating disorders of some type or uh, addic- addiction behaviors that are not typical. Uh, they are, you know, maybe drugs, maybe alcohol, maybe whatever, but they also have other self-destructive activity usually going on in their life. So here's some of uh, self-injurious behaviors of the most popular, obviously uh, scratching or pinching. Now, this behavior is included, uh, it includes severely scratching or pinching with fingernails or objects to the point that the bleeding occurs or marks the, the skin. And this method of self-injury is seen more than uh, half of all students who reported participating in self-harm in many, many studies. Also, uh, impact with objects. This, this behavior includes banging, punching objects to the point of bruising and bleeding. And, and this way to self-harm is seen in over 37% of self-harming kids. Also, cutting. You know, while cutting is often considered synonymous with self-harm, this way of self-mutilation uh, mutilation, sorry, uh, occurs in just over one in three students. One in three students will self-harm by cutting. The impact, uh, impact on a person's self, which may include banging, punching yourself to, to breed, uh, bleeding or uh, bruising. I apologize for all the stuttering, <laughs> but uh, I guess I had too much coffee. All right. Uh, rip skin. Now, this is another uh, sense of uh, self-mutilation. It's ripping or you're tearing your skin, and, and that's seen in over 16% of people who admit to self-harming behaviors. Carving. This is another different one. Now, now uh, they carve words or they carve symbols in their skin, and this is very separate from cutting. This method is identified in a, over... Uh, and under about 15% of people who self-harm are also interfering with healing. And, and this is another way of self-mutilation. And this, so what they do is usually hamper with the healing of wounds, like peeling off uh, their uh, scabs um, or rubbing an area that is already in bad shape. And this happens in over 13, around 13% of the people who do self-harm. Also, burning. Can you believe that? Burning skin is a way of self-mutilation. Burning is a way of self-injury is seen in 12.9 of students who actually do self-harm. Also, rubbing objects into the skin. This type of self-harm involves uh, sharp objects such as glass into the skin. 12% of the responding students use this. Also, hair pulling. This is, in other words, it's called trickle trilomania. And uh, this uh, particular thing, the person feels compelled to pull out their own hair and in some cases even ingest that hair. So this type of self-injury is seen in about 11% of all people who do self-harm. You know, you just have to note 70% of the reported uh, self-harm people use multiple ways of self-harming, not just one. They use usually two to four of the, the ways I just mentioned to harm themselves. Can you believe that? So how, what's the effects, you know? It's, it's uh, the effects of self-injury is not all bad, but this is why some people continue to self-motivate uh, or self-mutilate. Some of the positive effects of self-harm, and this is what they get out of it, uh, might be the expression of difficult feelings, communicating that they need help, 
a release of pain or tension, and that's an internal pain. That's an emotional pain that they're in, and they find a physical way to reflect on it. So they create a physical pain to deflect a mental anguish that they have. Also, another effect that they get is a sense of control because they're controlling the self-injury. Also, a distraction uh, from overwhelming or painful emotion or circumstances or if they're just reminding themselves that they're alive, feeling something rather than numb. And that, unfortunately, takes place in a lot of people who are especially depressed. You know, the positive effects of self-harm, though, are very temporary and are way outweighed by the physical and psychological damage caused by self-mutilation. So here's the the physical effect. You know, the physical effect of self-harm is usually wounds or scars, But number two, and and usually one of the most lingering, is infection. Also, nerve damage. You know, they can kill nerves immediately and never get that feeling back. Uh, Broken bones, hair loss, bald spots, uh, injury caused by an overdose or poisoning. You know, they go way too far. Some of them go way, way too far. And now, what are the psychological effects of self-injury? Well, just because you can't see harmful psychological effects of self-mutilation doesn't mean they aren't happening. Not only do strong emotions tend to drive people to self-harm, the self-harm itself, in turn, may cause strong emotional reactions. And unfortunately, self-harm is a temporary measure that not only creates problems, but also doesn't solve any problems that drove the person to the self-harm in the first place. And that is the bottom line, folks. It does not solve any problems. It actually creates more problems. So, so some of the psych- psychological effects is irritability. Irritability. A desire to be alone in order to self-harm or to hide evidence from self-harm. And this often leads to feelings of loneliness. Also, shame and guilt at having self-harmed. Also, the stress and difficulty of having to lie to those around you about the self-injury. Also, uh, psychological effects uh, of of self-harm include using self-injury to deal with emotional stress, including uh, building uh, uh, positive coping techniques, an overwhelming desire to self-injure to the point where it feels like you can no longer control the behavior, low self-esteem and self-hatred, and depression because it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work to hide this behavior. It takes a lot of work of uh, hiding the residuals of this behavior. And, uh, you know, like I said, the more exposure kids get to this thing, more exposure people get to this. I think there was an episode on uh, Beverly Hills 90210. It was like an old high school show, I think. And they did some episode on this. And suddenly, a a surge of people that did self-injury, just like a tidal wave, went across this country and, and, and beyond. It was, it was an amazing phenomenon. It was so sad because they watched the show and then they started doing it to themselves. So we have to ask, why? You know, who self-harms? Well, you know, both men and women, although there's usually more women than men, uh, any age group, although most think of it is linked to teens and 20s with people coping with their angst of youth, which, it, which is normal, One in 10 teenagers actually self-harm. Among young people, the ratio of male to female is females three, male one. For every three women that self-harm, one does. Now, the two most popular countries of self-harm include England and the United States. We have the highest statistics of self-harm in the world. 
you know, why? Why in the world does a person begin to self-harm? You know, many people stumble stumble into self-harming. Some might act initially out of uh, anger or frustration. Some hit something. Some cut themselves to express their pain. And unexpectedly, when they cause injury, they realize they strangely feel better inside. So some may hear about self-harming from others, and then they copy it. And others may try to cut their wrists as part of a suicidal attempt, but by cutting themselves, they realize they can get relief. And so some are, are drawn to this uh, from stress. Schoolwork is a major trigger for teenagers, yet others find that self-harm gives them a sense of control over something in their lives. If they have a chaotic home where parents are arguing or there's financial trouble or they're, they're always uh, isolated, um, th- this is, gives them a sense of control. So a lot of these kids will go to self-harm just to be able to control something in their life. And, and it can make real the emotional pain an individual cannot express, uh, giving them an outlet to do that. You know, we have to begin to understand it. And, and self-harm is still somewhat, you know, uh, of a taboo. But someone new to the subject can feel horror and shock and be disturbed by the thoughts of self-injury and the gory nature and the actions involved. And they may well be bewildered as to why anyone would want to deliberately cause themselves hurt, pain, or injury. And these responses can lead to avoidance, meaning the person that's self-harming avoids. And uh, so they don't want to talk about it. And uh, by the way, there is another form of self-harm that I didn't mention. And uh, I mentioned the word taboo, but also tattoos. A lot of people will tattoo their entire body. They will tattoo every place they possibly can because actually that is a lot like the self-harm. They actually enjoy getting that burnt into their skin. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about it uh, from a mental health perspective the whys, why people do it, and uh, we're going to move on into managing it. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Encouraged and connected on our lively, award-winning, healthy living power hour. Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com.
It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at svcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, we're talking about cutting and self-harm. Uh, and, you know, the deal is a lot of people get this uh, shock and uh, horror about receiving the information or seeing the information that their child has hurt themselves or somebody they love has hurt themselves and is doing self-injury. But, you know, you've got to understand that uh, your response that way, if you're uh, shocked and horrified, is actually going to make them avoid wanting to show or tell you about themselves self-harming. You know, when you know someone who is self-harming, then all of this supplemented with the desire to help, support, and come to the rescue to care, the first task is not uh, to try to save them. It's not to try to fix the problem immediately. What the first thing you have to do when you know somebody who self-injures is try to understand how they're doing it and why they're doing it. And that is the important thing. And if they say, I don't know, say, what's, what's your second guess? Because you need an answer. You need to understand when they're self-harming and what was going on in their head when that is happening. Also, you have to understand that by the vast majority, self-harm is not an attempt to end life, but it is a means to live. It's, it's, it's a learned coping mechanism that gives that person a chance to relieve internal tension, pressure, distress, and live their life. So it's actually an outlet to live rather than to kill. It looks like they're trying to commit suicide, but what they're really doing is trying to get back on with their life. It's just the wrong way to go about it. You know, self-harm is not a mental illness. It's an unhealthy coping mechanism associated with very powerful emotions, but it's not itself a mental illness. Now, it is an indicator uh, indicator of mental illness. Some self-harmers hide the activity from others as they're frightened that they are, uh, that they'll be labeled crazy and it can also uh, be linked to a disassociation which is a, a psychological state where an individual separates themselves from things around them and often as a way of to cope with overwhelming distress and it also uh, usually occurs as a self-inflicted injury such as cutting stabbing burning hitting hard objects as we said before rubbing scratching or scraping and may also include a swallowing of foreign objects. And it usually, the usual feature is that the action causes pain and injury to the skin and often bleeding. So we have to remember it is a way to cope with inner feelings. So if an individual feels intense hurt, frustration, tension, pain, anger inside, they can't just take a pill and get better. What they do is they cut to avoid the feelings that they're having inside. Then instead of taking them out on someone else or bottling them up, so they uh, they go into the self-harm mode, and that's their coping skill. And it can be a ritual of self-punishment. Some, some individuals feel the need to inflict 
punishment on themselves. They feel that they have done something wrong or they've had uh, guilt put upon them and there's a need for retribution and they're the ones to carry out the sentence on themselves. And it's an extension of this involves the symbolism of bloodletting, which is seen as a purging or a cleansing act, the releasing of evil within and letting out the poison or the pain inside. It also uh, deflects inner distress and uh, so causing physical pain and once again we're trying to understand why we're not trying to promote we're trying to understand why these people do this stuff and it's uh, the, the, the deflection of inner distress the person's physical pain deflects a person's attention away from their inner pain uh, once again for a very limited period of time and usually just for the time that they're actually doing it and and it can it it, it, it can feel easier to cope with the physical pain instead of emotional and the psychological. And it also uh, reassures the individual as it reinforces that they are real and still have feelings and that they're still alive. Can you believe some people have such low self-esteem, such low uh, uh, image of themselves that they actually have to self-harm to remind themselves that they're still alive? You know, self-harm releases chemical uh, defenses also in the body. And and when attacked, the body goes into a defense and a self-protection mode. So there's a complex internal physical response to injury. And this this response involves very powerful chemicals produced by the body called endorphins. And these work to enable the person to cope with their injury by giving a natural tranquilizing effect to relieve the pain, thereby giving relief to both the physical and emotional pain and causing a calming effect on the person. So the endorphins also lift the mood, giving a high uh, to enable the fight or flight response and then a sense of buzz or energizing effect. So this high has been compared to that of uh, certain drugs or even sex. And as far as other highs, once experienced, there is a tendency to want to experience the same effect again. And so this leads to the temptation to repeat the self-harm when the internal emotional tension or pressure begin to build again. And it's so it's therefore it is addictive. And, and as can be seen, a release of endorphins can easily become addictive as an individual seeks to revisit the tranquilizing effects and natural high that they've achieved in the past. You know, these endorphins also, you know, you get people that are very, uh, they, they, they seek for danger and they do that to get the, pump, uh, get the endorphins pumping because they're getting away from their regular life or their regular thought process that is negative. And so a lot of people uh, seek, thrill seek, in order to feel better. Uh, a lot of people love to go to uh, theme parks where they can ride rides. And that is another way of boosting endorphins and making them feel calm and feel better. It's a very addictive behavior. You know, self-harm cycles are very hard to break. The natural effect uh, caused by the endorphins complicates everything. So a person may start to self-harm because of emotional and psychological feelings inside which they express in the self-injury, also to bring them to the long-term root causes which need to be addressed along with the dependency, and that is the endorphins. What are the endorphins needed for? Usually, they're there to help a person deal with stress or depression. So maybe if people treat the depression, they might be able to not self-harm. Interesting. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Self-harm is very dangerous, yet attractive, and that's what's so weird about it. 
It, it is an abnormal coping mechanism, which should never be encouraged, and it is dangerous to, to a person, and it tends to escalate in the same way as other addictive behaviors, adding to the physical risk of major harm to the body, infection, anemia, you know, others may have been tempted to copycat the behaviors out of a need of curiosity, especially if encouraged to try out self-harm by someone who thinks it's helping them. So those in emotional distress end up with two problems instead of one, inner turmoil coupled with addiction. So self-harm cycles need to be replaced by healthier coping strategies. So how do we manage self-harm? You know, how do we respond? You know, the, the, the response to seeing someone who self-harmed needs to be calm, needs to be matter of the fact, it needs to be practical, and most importantly, we need to ensure the injuries are cleaned and treated. And this may mean going to a, an emergency room or, you know, you know, minor injuries might be able to be addressed at the home, but don't panic. Don't panic because this calm approach is the best way to keep the individual physically safe and well, but it also reduces the risk of any emotional response feeding their desire to self-harm. So if it's like a bully, if a bully gets a person that, that responds to them, that's like, no, I'm not, don't, don't call me that, don't say that, blah, 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 blah. You know, if they get that kind of a response, a bully loves that because that feeds them. That's what they're looking for. So it makes them feel powerful. Well, the same thing happens here. If you get an over-emotional response to someone who self-harms, you're actually encouraging them because you're giving them power over you. And you may be one that's actually contributing to their strength stress, or anxiety. You know, and that gives them a secondary emotional gain that can be psychologically addictive. Also, the person needs to be noticed and cared for all the time, not just when they self-harm. There should be no blame, no shame. They need opportunities to talk, to learn how people express and deal with emotions in safer ways. And that means you, if you are discovering a self-injuring person, need to become a very good listener, not a listener only when they self-injure. Because if you only listen when they self-injure, that means they're going to do it again to get your attention. So the bottom line is, if you want to learn how to listen, let me give you simple tips. I understand. I hear what you're saying. Okay, so what you're telling me is you feel this way, this way, this way. That's called validation. Do not respond. Do not give them corrective actions. Only learn and listen first before you start correcting. I'm not talking about, you know, if they're bleeding, obviously you want to take care of that first. But the next thing we want to get into is becoming very good listeners, not just when they self-injure, but throughout life. We want to know how they feel and we want them to develop a vocabulary around their emotions and hopefully with us so that they won't feel tense anymore. We don't want them to stifle self-harm. We want them to be able to communicate openly. Also, they need to be helped by professionals. So seek advice and support for themselves or who you're supporting and give someone else who also understands self-harm involved so that they can talk. It's a good idea to get a therapist. It's a good idea to get a psychologist engaged so they can have an outlet and begin to learn how to speak their emotions in a place that is confidential. Also, you know, if the underlying causes are not addressed, making an individual stop self-harming may lead to even more destructive activities to relieve their unresolved emotions. And these might include alcohol, drug abuse, promiscuity, uh, actual suicide attempts. So here's some practical alternatives to a self-harming individual. You know, there's activities they can do, you know, uh, uh, to if we want to uh, ping 
with an elastic band, they inflict pain without cutting the skin, you know, pinging with, a, with a, like a rubber band, or going through the, uh, the motion with a blunt blade without breaking the skin, or putting ice on the arm, or drawing red lines on the arm, like feeling a ballpoint uh, uh, plus the visual effect. Also, releasing endorphins through exercise, sex, eating hot foods like chili, curry, intense mints. Hot, not too hot, or cold, shower is a good stimulant. Doing something enjoyable as a distraction, writing out your feelings, punching and shouting into a pillow, but most of all, seeking help. Although these strategies may work to the short term, there's still a need to to get expert help, to talk to someone, to face the problems, and to deal with the root. Now, the bottom line is with a therapist, you know, you really want to get somebody that matches them. You don't want to just throw them into any therapist. It needs to be somebody, number one, that knows about this topic, but number two, somebody who really blends with them because if they can't talk to that person, if they feel weird about that person, that's never going to help. Also, uh, medical help should be sought to reduce the effects of scarring, which could be upsetting to that uh, person years after. You know, there's a thing called like Mederma or uh, using uh, uh, vitamin E oil that can often help heal the skin and uh, get rid of the scars. It won't always get rid of the scars, but it might diminish some of the scars. And so, you know, it's really, really important that calmness as a reaction is the best reaction. You know, there is a a, a test. You know, you can take tests about self-harm, but here's some questions that you uh, want to ask yourself if you do self-harm, you know, and, and you want to write down these questions if you have a piece of paper and analyze your reasoning. Why do I self-harm? Why do I feel I must self-injure? That is the number one question. Number two, what has driven me to cut or burn or hit? Number three, have I done this before? How did I cope then? Did I feel the same way? Number four, what other paths have I pursued to ease the pain before now? Is there something else I can do, a self-harm alternative that won't work? Now, how am I feeling now? How would I feel later when I'm self-injuring? How would I feel after? How would I feel tomorrow morning? You know, you, you want to forecast down the road, what are you going to have to do to deal with the fact that you self-harm? And, and can I avoid the problem that has driven me to this? Is there a better way? I can handle it next time. Do I really need to self-injure? If you'd like, you know, the best thing to do is to write this stuff down. Write these questions down and take a good long time and journal and answer these questions. It is critical to do that if you are a person who self-harms. All right, here's some warning signs. You know, cutting, uh, it's a practice that that is foreign and it's frightening to parents, but it's not a suicide attempt, though it may look and seem that way. You know, cutting is a form of self-injury, so the person is in, uh, literally making small cuts on uh, their body, usually the arms, the legs, and it's difficult for many people to understand, but for kids, cutting helps them control their emotional pain. So, the practice has long existed in secrecy. You know, the problem is, uh, particularly common among girls, Uh, It is an accepted part of the goth culture, which is very strange. And so 
this goth culture, a lot of them have exemplified this cutting behavior and uh, self-injuring behavior and actually made it into something very popular for themselves. You know, very often... Uh, kids who self-harm have an eating disorder. They may have a history of sexual or physical or verbal abuse. Many are, are very sensitive. They're very uh, perfectionistic. They're overachievers. So the self-injury begins as a defense against what's going on in their family and their lives. And they've failed in one area of this life. And this is where they need to get control. And so the self-injury is a way to control. So it can also be a symptom of uh, psychiatric pr uh, problems. And by the way, the most common uh, disorder that is correlated to cutting especially is borderline personality disorder. But also anx anxiety disorders are linked to self-injury. Bipolar disorder and schizophrenia are linked very heavily to this particular problem. You know, many kids who self-injure are regular kids going through adolescent struggle of self-identity. They're experimenting. You know, I hate to say it's a phase because I don't want to minimize it, but it's, it's kind of like kids who start using drugs and doing dangerous things. Not all of them keep it. And so, you know, we kind of want to look at it as a phase. We hope it's a phase, but we want to take it extremely serious and hit it head on. So, what to watch for? Small linear cuts. The most typical cuts are very linear, straight line, often parallel like a railroad tie carved to a forearm, uh, to, to the upper arm, sometimes the legs. And uh, some people cut words into themselves. That's called carving. And if they're having body image issues, they may cut the word fat. Or they, if they are having trouble at school, it may be stupid or loser or failure or big L. Those are the things that are usually seen by carvers. You know, unexplained cuts or scratches, particularly when they appear regularly. You know, I wish I had a nickel for every uh, time someone says the cat did it. Because you know, not all the time, the cat did it. All right, mood changes is something you want to look for, like depression or anxiety or out-of-control behavior, changes in relationships, communication, school performance. Kids who are unable to manage day-to-day -day stresses of life are very vulnerable to self-harm. All right, we're going to take another break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about what parents can do about this turning inward, about healing and coping, and uh, tune in and come right back. us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. The Compassionate Life is about just that. There are so many human beings who have made a name for themselves by being humanitarians. They have become individuals who are known for being selfless, kind, and compassionate. 
Host Dr. Brittany King is also one of these humanitarians. Each week she shares stories of kindness that she has experienced throughout the world, both as a contributor and recipient of these acts of love and kindness. Listen every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, we're talking about uh, cutting uh, cutters and self-harm. And, uh, you know, over time, cutting typically escalates, occurring more often with more and more cuts each time. You know, it takes less uh, provocation for them to cut, and it takes more cutting to get the same relief. So much like drug addiction, and for some reasons I can't explain, but but I've heard very often the more blood, the better. Uh, most of the cutting I see is, is quite superficial, and it looks more like scratches than cuts. And it's sort of that when you put pressure on it, it stops bleeding. So, you know, when we're looking at warning signs, we really have to take this on with our kids, but we have to listen. We have to listen. And if you're a terrible listener, don't be the person helping your child. If you can't shut your mouth and actually ask a question, how are you? What's going on? What made you do this? How did you decide to do this? You know, and not just do it when they self-injure, but actually do it throughout their childhood or their life, or if you're supporting someone or if you're with someone who does this behavior, you have to be kind and gentle and a good listener. If you're not that, go to somebody who is, and that's a professional. Some people are just far too egotistical. They have to hear themselves, and they don't want to hear other people, and that's what actually drives uh, cutters and these people to self-injure sometimes is they have no one to talk to. So if you're like that, if you're a person who just talks to hear yourself talk, either shut up and listen or get out of the way and get somebody who can help them because that's not love. All right. You know, parents, when parents suspect a problem, they're, they're at a loss of how to approach their kid. And, you know, we, we tell parents it's better to err on the side of open communication so the kids may talk when they're ready. And it's better to open up the door and let them know you're aware of this. And, and don't be responding unless they ask you for a response. That means shut up. If, you, if they're going to talk to you, let them talk. Keep asking questions, but don't sit there and make it a, a, a diatribe for you to lecture them. You know, you have to know, they have to know that you're a safe place where they can talk. And, and uh, you know, and you're not going to punish them. You're just very concerned about this behavior. So you want to be very direct with them and very gentle. You don't want to act out of anger or let yourself become hysterical. You know, I'm going to watch you every second. You can't go anywhere. That's a crazy reaction. Just be direct, express concern, and say we're going to get help. You know, uh, parents often make the mistake of uh, mistaking uh, uh, cutting 
or self-injury for suicidal behavior. And that's usually when they have finally seen the cuts and they don't know how to interpret them. So, so the kid gets dragged into the ER, but the ER doctors aren't always used to seeing this. And they find it difficult to understand whether it's a suicidal or a self-injurious behavior. So many kids who are not suicidal at all are being evaluated and, and even hospitalized in a mental institution for being suicidal. You know, unfortunately, the attitude in the hospital emergency rooms can be very cavalier and very harsh to self-injurers. There's a lot of dislike because it's a self-made injury. So, ER personnel can be very hostile. There are all kinds of stories of people getting stitched without an anesthetic. You know, the thing is, after they've self-injured, They're calmer. So when they're getting stitches, they actually feel the pain, yet the doctor is angry and wants to get this over with. You know, so psychotherapy should be the first step in treatment. And uh, it's very important that the therapist is actually comfortable with this behavior to curb this behavior and to help them learn how to communicate their emotions and find the people that are safe that they can talk to and help them build that support network for themselves so that they don't rely on self-injury to deal with their emotional pain. And they also, the most important thing is just throwing somebody who dealt self-harm into treatment is not always the best thing. They have to want to be treated. So it's very important that they're ready for that. Also, you know, the ultimate uh, linchpin in this stuff is the kid has to decide or the person has to decide they're not going to do this anymore. And any ultimatum, bribery, putting them in a hospital is not going to do it. They need a good support system. They need treatment for underlying disorders like depression. And they need better coping skills. You know, when kids just can't break the cycle through going to therapy, an inpatient program is not a bad idea. And there's many of them out there. There's, I think there's a one called a Safe Alternatives. It's been very popular. I think it has like a 70% success. You know, uh, basically when patients enter these facilities, they sign a contract that they, they won't self-injure during the time that they're there. And then they, they teach them how to operate in the real world. And that means making choices in response to emotional conflict healthier choices rather than self-injury and they teach them to understand why they're angry and show them how to handle their emotions and their anger you know it, it it's not allowed self-harm in these facilities but they don't take away the razors and they 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 can shave and they can uh, you know wear belts and they can have shoelaces the message they're sending is we believe you're capable of better choices in these kind of facilities. And so, you know, it's very important that the facility isn't treating suicide, but it is treating self-harm. Also, uh, you know, turning inward, that is why a lot of these kids are doing this. They haven't thought about it at all, exactly why they self-injure. And so it's like an addiction. So if they can take a pill or self-medicate in some way, why deal with the problem? We teach people that cutting only works in the short term and, and it only gets worse and worse. So we want to, to very much hit it on the head. This is not a way to deal with your feelings. When kids learn to face their problems, they'll, they'll quit self-harming. You know, the goal, and, and that goes for any person that self-harms, the goal is to get them to communicate what's wrong, 
You know, babies don't have the capacity for language, so they use behavior. It's That's what emotional intelligence is about. The deal is, is their emotions, they don't have words for them, so they get frustrated and, and they self-harm because they don't have words. You know, individual and group therapy are, are very uh, important sometimes for people who cut. And, and uh, if there's underlying depression or anxiety, antidepressants may be prescribed. Uh, also, um Many, many of the people, the best way to get through this is to explore and express their feelings. And helping them gain self-respect and self-esteem is a critical treatment goal. So many kids have difficulty dealing with situations and people that make them angry. So they, they don't have great role models for that. Saying no, standing up to people, they don't really believe they're allowed to do that, especially girls. But if you can't do that, it's very difficult to maneuver the world and survive in the world without someone strong. So, more capable that you are to fight your battles, the more less likely you are to do self-injury. Also, uh, circular negative thinking keeps people from developing self-esteem. So, when when uh, we help, what we want to do is help them empower themselves, take risks of confrontations, change how they view themselves. You know, if you can't set limits on someone else's behavior, stand up to them. Uh, you can't like yourself. One of the, you know, you've got to be able to say no to things that hurt you. You've got to be able to set boundaries. You've got to be able to walk away and take the high road without stuffing your anger and joining somebody in their crappy behavior. You know, uh, bottom line is when people decide they don't want to cut or hurt themselves anymore, they get stressed again and they have to be able to manage that stress when it arises. So, uh, they, they, you don't want them to succumb to cutting. So, people who can figure out some other alternative way to manage the stress will eventually stop it. And parents can help by providing emotional support helping identify the warning signs, helping the kids distract themselves, lowering the the, the person's uh, stress level, providing supervision at, at very critical times. But but a parent can't solve it. A person cannot solve it for another person who self-injures. It is to take responsibility for them. They've got to take responsibility for their behavior and themselves. You know, so uh, healing and coping with this is understanding why you cut, why self-harm is a vital first step towards your recovery. You know, if you find that why, that's huge. Or what is leading to this? You want to, if you're going to heal from self-harm, you have to identify your triggers. You have to remember self-harm is most often a way of dealing with emotional pain and what feelings that make you want to cut or hurt yourself, like sadness, like anger, like shame, loneliness, guilt, emptiness. So once you learn to recognize the feelings that trigger your need to self-injure, you can start developing healthier alternatives. So you want to get in touch with your feelings. So if you're having a hard time pinpointing the feelings that trigger your urge to cut, you may need to work on your emotional awareness. So emotional awareness means knowing what you are feeling and why. And it's the ability to identify and express what you're feeling from moment to moment and understand the connection between your feelings and your actions. And when we talk about emotions, I I mean just that, putting a word to your emotions. I'm not talking about demonstrating or raising your tone of voice. I'm talking about, I feel this. I feel frustrated. I feel angry. I feel happy. Whatever the emotion is, learn to identify it by word. And if you do that, own that. Own that feeling and know that when you express it, you don't need to overexpress. You can actually just state your feelings. Just state them. Don't demonstrate them. State your feelings. You know, um, 
Feelings are important pieces of information that our bodies give to us, but they do not have the result in the actions like cutting or self-harming. And by the way, cutting and self-harming, these are emotional behaviors. We are not to be identified or not to be defined by our emotions. If I, if I woke up every day and checked in with my emotions and said, do I want to go to work? Well, most mornings you would not want to go to work. You'd want to stay in bed. So once again, if we let our feelings dictate our lives, our feelings suddenly manage our lives. So we want to be very, very in tune with doing what's right for us rather than what we feel. Learn what you think rather than what you feel. Do what you think is right rather than what you feel. If you learn to overcome your emotions, then you learn how to manage those emotions and move through your feelings and move on into a more logical, controlled life. And that, your your thoughts are what make you who you are. And you need to remember that, not your feelings, your thoughts. So when you're cutting, you're identifying yourself with a behavior that is emotional rather than actually who you are. And that's the sad truth. So so don't you do not want to live by your emotions and you don't want to live by an emotional act especially that you do to yourself. You know, if if you know, if you self-harm, here's some things you can do to help yourself. Paint, draw, scribble in one big piece of paper with red ink or paint. You know, start a journal in which you express your feelings. Uh, you know, compose a poem or, or a song to say what you feel. You know, write down any negative feelings and then rip the paper up. You know, listen to music that expresses what you're feeling. You know, to calm and soothe yourself, to take a bath or a shower, uh, cold or hot. Um, pet or cuddle with a dog or a cat or, or you know, a, a safe animal. You know, wrap yourself in a warm blanket. Massage your neck, hands, and feet, or listen to very calm music. These are ways to cope with it. You know, because you feel disconnected and numb, call a friend. If you don't have, you don't have to talk about the self harm. You know, hold an ice cube on the crook of your arm or your leg, or chew something with a very strong taste like chili peppers or peppermint or a grapefruit peel. You know, go online to a self help website or a chat room or a message board. And if you want to release the tension, exercise vigorously, run, dance, jump, rope, you know, jump rope or hit a punching bag, punch, punch a cushion or a mattress, scream into your pillow, squeeze a stress ball or squish a Play-Doh or clay, rip something up like sheets of paper or a magazine, you know, make some, make some noise like play an instrument, bang on pots or pans. You know, substitutes for cut, cutting sensations is like uh, a, the red felt tip pin uh, where you might usually cut or, or you know, rub ice uh, across your wrists or your skin or put rubber bands on your wrists and just pluck them. Um, you know, deal with your feelings. You, you may feel shocked, confused, or even disgusted by self-harming behaviors and those guilt feelings may arise but you want to be able to accept your feelings all right that's our show i hope this has helped you our next show is social psychology how much of me is me i want to thank everybody for listening i'd love to hear from you get your feedback drgbmft at sbcglobal.net or twitter at drgbmft all right now remember this is from kim kim jong-il north korea's uh, current leader Dark humor is like food. Not everyone gets it. All right. Now, a woman is helpless only when her nail polish is drying. That's our show. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 
that's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you.